today we're going to conclude this uh, series that we're in called Regift. This idea of God gives to us and then we give to others what He has given to us. And uh, we have been talking about regifting God's love, regifting God's joy, regifting the peace of God. And today we're going to be talking about regifting hope. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Can I tell you the context of that, that passage? It's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus said, here's what he said. This is that where he said that. He said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. How's that for Christmas time? Amen. So Jesus says, I've given you power and I've given you authority in the earth to set things right, to make a change, to make a difference. Now when we talk about love and joy and peace and now today hope, that, that, those don't seem like powerful words. They seem kind of passive, kind of emotional feeling type things. But li- li- literally, the love of God is the power of God. It is the joy of the Lord. It is the peace of God. It is the hope of God. And that's what heals broken lives. That's what brings joy to joyless hearts. That's what brings peace into confusion. That's what brings hope into hopelessness. So we've been talking about this today. We're going to conclude with this. And I I do want to talk about this idea of regifting the hope that God has given to us. And uh, I, to begin this, I want to start at Luke chapter 2. I want to pick up in uh, the, where the angels have visited or the heavenly hosts have come and visited the shepherds out in the field. And I want to pick up at verse 15. And it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Um, But Mary kept all these things and pondering them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So it says, when the angels told them the good news, they went around and told everybody else what they had heard and what they had seen. And so I want to talk about that. This is where we're going to begin today. Let's just pray right now. Father, we love you and thank you for your presence here today. And we want to thank you, God, for the gift of life that you've given to every one of us, the gift of your love, of your joy, your peace, and your hope. And I pray today, God, that we would be people of hope in a season, in a time, and in an atmosphere of hopelessness. We ask, God, that you would uh, speak to our hearts here today by the power of your word. Let your word raise us up. Let your word send us out. Let your word be an encouragement to every one of us, I pray today in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? 
All right. So imagine the scene where heaven invades earth on the night of Christ's birth. Here are these simple, ordinary shepherds keeping watch over their sheep by night. When the Bible says the, the glory of the Lord shone around them, the word for shone literally means to blaze. The glory of the Lord was like a blazing fire all around them. And of course, that terrified them. They were afraid of what they were encountering. And the angel said, don't be afraid, but we got good news to tell you that today in the city of David, that Christ the Savior has been born. And uh, it was in, they were right outside of Bethlehem. And so that everybody knew that the city of David was Bethlehem. And of course, out of Micah chapter 2, verse 5, God prophesied through the prophet Micah that in Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is the city of David, that the Messiah would come and be born. So they, this long-awaited Messiah that they had all longed for, that they had all hoped for, that they had all dreamed of, that they had heard the prophecies about, this, this Messiah that they were hoping for finally arrived, and it happened at night. And God, how many of you know that God usually shows up in the dark? He always waits till dark to show up. And uh, so he's, they said that Christ the Savior has been born. And so they rush into Bethlehem. And after seeing the baby Jesus, they went everywhere sharing this hope-filled message that God had come into the world and that now, literally, all their dreams are going to come true, but not in the way that they thought. Of course, they don't realize this at the time. They just know Messiah is born. The Savior has come. The Deliverer has come. And they went everywhere spreading this message of hope into their kind of hopeless situation. What is hopelessness? Hopelessness is the belief that things are not going to get better. And in fact, they're probably going to get worse. That's what hopelessness feels like. Hopelessness is that dark, despairing feeling that the, that the current situation that we're in is not going to change. There's a, I believe, a pall of hopelessness hanging over our world right now. Um, we've been told, I don't know how many of you remember this, probably about three or four years ago, we were told there was, a, there was news going around uh, all over our news channels that people were saying if we don't change the way we do things and change our carbon footprint, this world is going to end in 10 years. So I think we have seven years left. But this is what they were telling us. This is what people have believed. They believe that, that because of things, the way things are going in our society, that there's going to be some catastrophic end to our society. There are people that actually believe that. Then we also deal with the hopelessness of broken relationships. There are hopeless, there are people struggle with hopelessness over the inability to change their lives. They're caught in a cycle of dysfunction and brokenness and they're, and they're in bondage to some addiction in their life and they don't see any hope of change. Uh, there are people that are hopeless about some circumstance that they're going through. And they, again, they, they don't see that there's going to be a positive outcome. And so this is what hopelessness feels like. And ultimately, hopelessness is what you get when you forget about God. 
Uh, Job chapter 8 verse 13 says this, those who forget God have no hope. There's where your hopelessness comes from. When you take God out of the picture, when God is not a part of the picture, or you forget about God, you forget about who He is and what He has said and what He has done and what He is going to do, then that's when hopelessness begins to set into our hearts. In a broken world, and Isaac kind of said, that to, said this to us here just a few moments ago, in a broken world, Christians, above all people, are to be people of hope. We have a choice. We can either be hopeless or hope-filled people. And of all people, we need to have hope. Now, hope is not merely being optimistic about life or have a kind of wishful mindset. Biblical hope is a confident expectation based upon the facts of who God is and what God has said. It may not look like there's going to be a good outcome right now, but hope knows that God is God and God is true. And what He says is true. And what He has promised is true. And I don't see it right now. I'm not holding it right now. I'm not experiencing it right now. But I'm looking toward a faithful God. And that's the kind of people we need to be in, a, in an age of hopelessness. So we have been talking about this idea of regifting, uh, the expressing God's love and diffusing His joy and, and imparting His peace. But we also need to be people who inspire His hope into hopeless hearts, and into hopeless situations. Now, like I've been doing over the weeks, it's impossible for us to give what we're not presently walking in. And so first, I want to talk about this idea that every one of us in the room, if we're going to gift hope, we have to be strengthened in hope ourselves. That's what I want to talk about to begin this. And I came across this story. Many of you maybe have heard of him. His name is Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who was in uh, Nazi concentration camps. And while he was there, he discovered what man would go through and what they would endure. And when he was in Auschwitz, he saw all of those around him. And he saw people who didn't make it. And he saw people who made it through those times. And this is what he said. And I wanted you to see this quote. This is what uh, Viktor Frankl said. He said, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. And he went on to say in the, in the uh, little article that I read that he saw people that were going through the very same thing that they, the way they looked at what they are going through determined the outcome of their life. If they gave up, then by and large, they lost their life. But if they held on and believed that through this pain, 
And through this great tragedy and through this great loss, something was going to change. He said, by and large, those are the ones who made it. And church, if we give up in our heart, and if we kind of just surrender to the difficulties of the times that we're going through, we're not going to have hope. And if we don't have hope, we are doomed. And we got to get to the part like David said in, in Psalms 31 verse 24. David said, be of good courage and the Lord shall strengthen your heart. All of you who hope in the Lord, if you hope in the Lord, take heart, have courage. God will give you the strength. And so we have to strengthen our hope in the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, you got to hope. H-O-P-E. First of all, you got to hold on to God's promises. You and I have to get a hold of the promises of God and hold on to them. Not let them go. One man said, when you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hold on. When you're at the very end and you don't think you could go another day, hold on. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The world isn't faithful. You and I are not always faithful. Sometimes our own family members are not faithful, but God is faithful. And when God gives you a promise, and he's given you many of them in his word, not to mention the other promises that God has whispered in your heart. But whatever God has said to you, hold on to that promise. Don't let it go. That's what hope does. Come on, church. Can I get a good amen? He says, hold fast the confession of your hope. Amen. O is overcome the spirit of discouragement. Because in holding on to the promise of God, there are discouraging things that we go through. There are things that don't seem to pan out. There are issues that don't seem to come together. People aren't doing what people are supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Come on. And uh, it doesn't feel very hopeless. So what do you do when you feel the spirit of discouragement coming on? You have to overcome that discouragement in your heart. This is what Abraham had to do. God had promised Abraham that he would make out of him a great nation. He went decades with no fulfillment of that promise. But here's how Paul described what, how Abraham held on to that. It said in, in Romans chapter 4 verse 18, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just like God told him. And in fact, if you read the full context of that, he says Abraham knew that his body was dead and he knew that his wife's body was dead. When there didn't seem like there was any hope against hope, he hoped. He held on. Why? Because God said something to him. It didn't look like it would come to pass. And biologically, it wasn't supposed to come to pass. 
But God isn't bound to our biology. And he's not bound by our problems. And he's not bound by our limitations. If God gives us a promise, he's true to his promise. But against all hope, we got a hope. And again, that's what David taught us in Psalm 62. This is what you got to do to overcome the spirit of discouragement. I love how David talks to himself all the time. He says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. When there's no hope, you got to tell yourself, keep on hoping. Amen. Keep on hoping. So hold on to God's promise. Overcome the spirit of discouragement. P is protect your mind from believing lies. Not only will there be discouraging times, but with that discouragement, Satan will assail you with fiery darts of doubt to get you to wilt in your confession and in your commitment and in your confidence. So here's what Paul said. Here's how you wage the good warfare. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The enemy wants us to believe that we're not going to make it, that it's not going to happen, that there is no hope here. So here's how, you, here's how you do this. Put your helmet on. Put your helmet of hope on. Why? To protect your mind. To protect your head from believing lies. And so you put the helmet on your head. Otherwise, you're going to get a spiritual concussion. Amen. And it's going to mess you up. We need to put on the hope of salvation. What does that mean? We know that God is a God of salvation. He steps in and saves us all the time. How many are glad you're saved from your sins? But you know what? He doesn't just save you from your sins. He saves you when you mess up. He saves you when someone attacks you. He saves you from financial crisis. He saves you through healing power. He saves you in restoration of relationships. Paul said he is a God who has delivered me, who is right now delivering me, and will always deliver me. I love that kind of God. Come on. He's a saving God. So what do you got to do? You got to put that helmet that God is a, he has delivered, he is delivering, and he will deliver. Amen. So hold on to God's promise. Overcome the spirit of discouragement. Protect your mind from believing lies. And then E is expect God to come through. That's what hope does. Psalms 130 verses 5 and 6 says, I wait for the Lord my soul waits, and in His Word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Watching for the morning. You know the sun is going to come up. You expect the sun to come up. Amen. 
And you got to expect, that's what David is saying, expect God to show up. Expect that God is going to move in this situation. You may not know exactly how it's going to happen. We have predetermined ideas and when it should happen. <laughs> Doesn't always happen on your timetable, right? But you keep looking. You keep your eyes peeled. You keep your eyes open because God is true to His Word. That's what hope does. It expects God to show up. But church, listen, if we don't have this kind of hope in us that holds on to the promise and overcomes the spirit of discouragement and protects itself from believing lies and expects God to come, how can we give hope to a world in a hopeless situation? We need to be hope-filled people, not hopeless people. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not that hopeless after all. Go ahead and tell them. Amen. So when we are strengthened in hope, the next thing then, we are ready to share hope with others. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us not only to express His love and impart His peace, but to inspire with His hope. That's what He wants us to do. I want you to read this with me, or look at this with me in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter said, you have hope on the inside of you. And what God has given to you, He wants you to be able to in turn give to others. This hope in you is not just for you, but it's for a world in hopelessness. And I love how he started it. He says, you need to keep Christ Lord of your soul, of your heart. Make sure that He is Lord of you so that His hope can flow out of you. So that you are able to give hope to others. Right? Come on. But here's how he said he said, when you give hope, here's, here's how we're to share the hope of, of Christ. We need to share it spontaneously. Be ready, he said. Come on, everybody say, be ready. That means at Walmart or anywhere. Be ready. Be ready to spontaneously, in the moment, impart the hope of God in any given situation with any person. Be ready to give an answer, he said. So he said, I want you to give, I want you to share the hope spontaneously. I want you to share the hope personally. In other words, he said, everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You know, most people do not live on a theological level. They live on an emotional level. You know what people really need is not to watch a bunch of apologists on YouTube argue about theology. They need to hear 
your testimony about the reality of what God has done in your heart. That's what they need. Because most people could give a flying flip about theological things. Amen. I don't think that's cursing. Did I fly and flip? Some of you are like. People don't live in that realm. They need to hear testimony. That's what the shepherds had. These lowly shepherds out in the field, heaven came down, glory filled their soul. They went into Bethlehem, beheld the Lord of glory, and went everywhere telling them what God had done. That's a testimony. That's what they need to hear from you and me. Peter said, you give them the hope that you have. Of what God did in you. Don't think you have to slay people with your knowledge. You're going to bore them probably. You're going to enrage them. That's the stuff that people get irritated with. They need to know what God did for you. You just tell them your simple story. I love that story. Remember... Uh, when the, ah, what was he, I think he was blind in John chapter 9, the man who was born blind, and Jesus healed him of his blindness, and then the, the Pharisees were angry because Jesus healed him of his blindness on the Sabbath day, and that's not proper theology, and you know, they were all hung up on it, and they called the man in, and they were, it was kind of, you know, uh, getting in his face, interrogating him. Yeah, thank you, Julie. You want to come up here and preach? I want you to. They were interrogating him, and, um, and they said, tell us who, what happened, who healed you? And he said, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's all I can tell you. I can't explain everything to you. I don't know all the theological references and things. I don't know know how to argue with you. All I can tell you is what he did in my life. This is what I was, and I'm not that anymore. Hallelujah. Peter said, when you talk, when you share your hope, be spontaneous, be ready, and be personal. But then he also said, be respectful. I like this, how he, if you bring that verse back up for me, he said there, he said, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Make sure you understand that people, people aren't where you're at. They don't understand what you know. And this isn't arrogance. This isn't, if you know that, I don't mean by that, that we think that we're better than anybody. We know that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. But have patience with people and understanding with people because they're not where you are, though, in Christ. They're, they're on a journey, I believe, but they're not where you are, and that's not an arrogant thing. 
just be gentle and respectful about it. Amen? And that, I think, will penetrate even the hardest hearts, that attitude and that spirit. So I was thinking of this, and so that's how Peter says we need to do it, spontaneously, personally, and respectfully. But I was thinking about, well, what is it that we want to share with people? And I, I went back. I really struggled with this. I wasn't really sure where to go. And I went back to the story, and I, I kind of had some thoughts about the story, the, the first Christmas story. There were about four angelic visitations surrounded Christ's birth. And these angels, how many know that angels are simply messengers of God? That's what angel means, right? And so there were four encounters surrounding the birth of Christ. There was one with Zacharias, which was the father of the forerunner of Christ. The father and Elizabeth, his wife, they were, they were going to have the son, John, who would be born, and he was going to be the forerunner of Christ. And then, of course, there was the visitation of the angel with Mary, and then with Joseph, and then with the shepherds. And I thought about these angel messengers, how um, each one of these people were touched by an angel. Remember that show back in the 80s? They were all touched by an angel. They had an angelic encounter. And these angels came to these people in what was at that time the world of hopelessness and oppression and darkness. That's what Isaiah chapter 9 says. Darkness had covered the earth, deep darkness, the land of Naphtali and Galilee. That's where the prophecy comes about, and there is born unto you this day. You know, that's where the prophecy is, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. So it was a time of darkness, and these angels showed up into these various lives, bringing a message of hope that, first of all, impacted them personally, but ultimately for every one of us. And I was thinking how God wants us to be like his messengers. Angels. Now we're not angels and it's bad theology, speaking of theology. To think that you die and one day go to heaven to be an angel. Look, I got better things to do. No. Uh, that's not what we're going to become someday. God created angels. They have their own distinct program. God created us in his image and after his likeness. And we got our own program. Amen. We're not going to die and become angels. Amen. You're not going to be earning your wings. Okay? I know it makes us feel better to say that God needed an angel in heaven. That's why they took, you know, that's why he took my mom or whatever. No. My mom is not an angel. She's a saint. <laughs> Hallelujah! Sorry, Mom. <laughs> so anyway, I got to thinking about this, and I thought, things angels say. What did the angels say to these people? How did they share the hope that, first of all, impacted these individuals, that impacted the world? And when the angel appeared to Zechariah while he was in the temple, lighting, doing the ministry work in the temple, uh, the angel showed up and it caused great fear. And he said, and every time they saw an angel, they had to, they were all terrified and they all had to be told, don't be afraid. 
And I know that it's obvious that they had to be told that because seeing an angelic visitation would be a, probably a terrifying experience. But I think on the other side of it, it was more than just that what they saw, but the message of God was don't fear. Good things are going on. This is what the world needs, right? And so the angel showed up to Zechariah, and in short, I'm just, I'll tell a little bit about the story, but here's, here's the thing that we need to share with people. This is what the angel said to Zechariah. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. This man and his wife had prayed for a long time to have a child. And to no avail, seemingly not God's will. And it turned out that if you read the full story, that lots were cast. There were thousands of priests who could serve in the temple worship. But on this particular day and in this particular season, the Bible said the lot fell to Zechariah. How many of you know that Life is not just the roll of the dice. But God is up to something sometimes. In fact, I want to show you in Proverbs 16.33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. They were casting lots. Who gets to serve in the temple? God was determining who gets to serve in the temple. And Zechariah went into the temple that day and an angel from heaven came to him and said, I am here in response to your prayers. The ones that you have forgotten all about by now. That your wife is pregnant. And you're going to have a baby. Hallelujah. And I can imagine this man, this old man serving in the temple, terrified about what he's seen, but also had gone through the years of waiting, longing to no avail. But God shows up and says, I haven't forgotten you at all. There are people in our lives right now that feel like life has passed them by. That... They don't even realize that God is working in their lives right now. They don't even realize that God is maneuvering things in their life to bring them to a place where they can encounter Him. But He needs some people, like His angels, messengers of God, that bring the hope of God into their hopelessness. They don't even realize that they are where they are right now because God is positioning them. Revealing things to them. And you and I are right there to help them cross over into the hope of God. But we got to let people know, like the angel came to let Zechariah know, God hasn't forgotten you. God is fully aware of who you are. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows all of your dreams, your hopes, and your desires. And He really does care. And He really does want to meet you right there. He has a plan for you. Amen. I love Isaiah 43, 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. See, that's, that's how we encounter people. Everyone that we encounter, God knows them by name. 
and they are not necessarily have received him as Savior and Lord, but they are his. Does that make sense? They're his. And they need to hear that so that they can put their hope in God. God's been moving in their life. They don't understand why they they are here right now. But you and I can know. Amen. You and I can be at the right place at the right time and let them know and help them to see that God's in this. God brought this meeting together. Amen. Does that make sense? So that was the angel's visitation to Zechariah. God has not forgotten you. Then the angel's visit to Mary. I believe his words are, are, should be our words. God has a purpose for your life. Mary was a simple Jewish girl from an average family living in an out-of-the-way village. Nazareth was on nobody's wish list. Right? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so that it was no it was not a hot spot for a destination. Nobody cared about Nazareth and nobody knew who Mary was. We always make her out to be somewhere between humanity and divinity. She's not. All due respect, she's not. She was a simple little Jewish girl with no special pedigree, no special, you know, no, no superior kind of thing about her life. And she was ordinary, and she lived in a other side of the tracks town, <laughs> like Butte. Everywhere I've gone in the, in, the, in the state of Montana, Billings, Bozeman, Missoula, when we would talk to people in those communities and they'd say, where are you from? Say Butte, and they'd say, oh. (laughs) It's got a reputation. Like Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You should just tell them, yeah, we don't want you here either. No, (laughs) I'm teasing. That's not very hopeful. (laughs) Strike that. But here's this little girl who God had a great purpose for. She didn't know it, nor could she believe it when it was told to her. Me? Me? God has a purpose for me? God has a destiny for me? And so, she couldn't even, she couldn't even imagine this. And this, this purpose that God had for her was not going to be anything that she could figure out herself, nor could it, would it be anything that she could do in her own power. It was going to take the power of God to make this happen. One thing people need, and everybody needs this, everybody has the feeling and the need to have this sense of significance in their life. And most people do not believe that, it's, that they are significant. But everybody needs to know that not only has God not forgotten them and that He does know them by name, 
but that they have a purpose in God's eternal glory. Everybody needs to know this. And I know that there are people you don't want to talk to, people you don't want to relate with, people that are irritating, but those people have a purpose. Amen. Why did the amens really diminish there? Everybody has a purpose. And God will send us to people like Gabriel was sent to Mary to say to her, not only are you going to conceive in your womb the Son of God, but God has favored you. God has graced you. And again, God didn't favor her because she was super special above everybody else. The word favor means grace, which means unmerited kindness. And what Gabriel was saying is, Mary, God has been un. He has been so kind to you. He has chosen you out of everybody else to do this great thing. This is what everybody needs to understand, that God's grace is for everybody. And that they have purpose and value and significance in Him. And most people struggle with this. But God will send us to these people because they need to know this, and you and I are the ones that need to share it. Amen. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. In other words, I believe what Solomon is saying here is that the purposes of God in a person are woven, and they're put down deep in a person's soul. And they, they, know, that they, they know there's something there, but they, they struggle with it. And they don't know what it is. And so he says they are deep waters, but one who has insight draws it out. That's you and I. Help people discover who God created them to be. Help them to see beyond their own flaws and their own hang-ups and their own dilemmas and their own failures. Look for the deeper waters. Take a deep dive into a person's heart. And you'll find things. It's there. There's gold in them there, hills. Amen. Psalms 33 verse 11 says, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of His heart through all generations. God has a purpose, and He puts it deep into the hearts of people. And They don't know where, where it's at and what it is, but where you and I come into play is we draw it out. We look for it and draw it out. Then there's Joseph. The angel came to Joseph. And I believe that the angel's message to Joseph is one that we need to say, and that is, God will direct your steps in life. God is going to direct your steps. God is so intrinsically involved in you and loves you and cares about you that he's going to direct your steps. Is this making sense out there? I'm almost done. It's almost over. Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married when he learned of her pregnancy. And of course, he struggled with it because he knew he had nothing to do with it. And she told him what had happened. It seemed almost, what, like too good to be true. And he, he was just like, I guess in a, in, a, in a way, he didn't believe it. I mean, right? Kind of seems like he didn't believe her. And so he thought, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a way to put her away privately. And then the angel of the Lord showed up and said, 
not so fast. What is going on with her is God. And I know you don't know this, but God's in this. And I'm telling you, God's in it. And so he was on this track of putting her away. Here's what a lot of people are doing. They don't realize that they're in dilemmas right now that God has orchestrated to bring them to a place where instead of where we try to where they're trying to put away the things of God, God is trying to bring into, you know, He's trying to bring it to pass. And so people are at a place right now in our lives where they need to know God is doing something in them. He's doing something in their life. And you and I have to be that person that steps in like an angel and says, God's in this. Don't run away from this and don't put this away. Stop trying to stop what God is doing. And let God work it out in your life. Amen. I love the scripture that says a person's heart. This is Proverbs 20, verse 24. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How can anyone understand their own way? God is bringing you to a place. Remember Paul, Saul? His name was Saul first. The apostle, uh, actually at the time he was the persecutor of the church. And he was trying to rid society of the blight of the church. And he was persecuting Christians. And he was on this road and God encountered him. And knocked him down onto the ground and let him know. I'm doing something in what you're trying to destroy. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change your life and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into a new way of living. Amen. And that's what God is doing all the time. Yeah, how, many, how many people, are, there are people on their own Damascus Road right now. And God's bringing them into a place where he's just rocking their world. And you and I are there to help them understand. Just like Ananias was sent by God Go and help this guy understand what I'm up to. That's you and me. That's sharing the hope in Christ. You thought you were headed in the right direction. You were in the wrong direction. But in a way, you were kind of in the right way because God, God confronted you where you were. Amen. You're trying to put away the church. God's trying to bring you into the church. Amen. I hope this is making sense. It makes sense in my own head, which sometimes can be worlds apart from everybody else. Amen. <clears throat> one final one. Ready for this? The shepherds. Here's what the angels said to the shepherds. Here's what we say to those. God has an assignment for you to fulfill. The shepherds were not famous. They were not well known. They were not sought after speakers. Nobody cared about the shepherds. Yet God chose them to preach the first gospel message that the Savior had been born. They were to go witness of the birth of the Son of God. God didn't go to a prophet. He didn't go to a priest. He didn't go to a king. He went to, he went to shepherds. Blue-collar people that nobody else knew about. And he said, I want you to go and see this thing. And then from there, they went and told everybody what they had seen. Now we all, like Mary, have a purpose in Christ to bring glory to Christ. 
But we all have different assignments in life as to how that purpose is played out. And people don't know that they have a calling. Everybody in this room, you have a calling. You have a destiny. We all have purpose. We all have significance. We all have meaning. But even beyond that, more specifically, we have a calling. That there's something that the Lord has called us to. It's a conviction in our heart. It's what our heart beats for. It's what we feel. It's what drives us. It's what woos us. And that calling is from God. That assignment is from the Lord. And people need to know this. They need to hear this. That's what the angels said. Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for you and all the people. The Savior, Christ the Lord, is born. They went and saw Him, and then they went everywhere telling. They they stepped into their assignment. They were shepherds by trade, but they were messengers of God by assignment. Amen. And people need to understand this. I love... The Bible is replete with examples of people who were just average, ordinary people that maybe even appeared like they didn't have a future, but God shows up and says, I have an assignment for you. Moses, who thought he was a, you know, a has-been murderer that's going to go nowhere and just a shepherd in the back, back hills of where he was at at the time, and uh, Gideon. And Esther, who was a queen in a great position, but she didn't feel like she could make a difference. She had an assignment. Amen. Peter and Paul and even Silas. Amen. We all have an assignment. People need to know that they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared a long time ago that they would do Him. And you and I, this is the message of hope that people need to hear. Amen, church? All right. Katie, would you come? I guess that would be you, right? There's Katie, everybody. All right. Romans fifteen thirteen says, Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to overflow with confident hope? Come on, church. Confident hope. I love the fruit, the fruit of hope. Is joy and peace. When you have hope in God, you have joy and you have peace. And there will be an overflow of confident hope. And the world needs to catch your overflow. The world needs to encounter your overflow. So let's all stand together. I'm going to have the, those who are going to pray if they would come on up and be prepared to pray with you, if you have anything that you'd like to pray about, or if we can pray for you in any way, I want to encourage you to come.
and receive prayer. One more time, can you just lift your hands with me right now to the Lord and let's just pray for an infilling of the hope. Lord God, we thank you that you have gifted us with hope, eternal hope, eternal glory. And Lord, we live in a world that is hopeless right now, a world that it needs to encounter the God of hope, the source of hope. And I just pray, Lord, that that hope that is within us would well up within us like a river and flow through us and overflow out of us, God, all around us. God, that we would be your messengers of hope everywhere we go, that we would say what you're saying, that we would do what you're doing in the moment, spontaneously, and purposefully and personally. God, we love you so much. We pray, God, that we would literally shift the atmosphere of places that we go, that right now there, there doesn't seem to be any hope. But when we come onto the scene, you say things through us, you do things through us that changes everything. Let it be, God. And we know that you get all the glory. This is not about us, but this is all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody says amen.